0: Calvary Baptist Church podcast, where we share weekly sermons from our church services. We're so glad you've decided to join us today. We are a multi-generational family church located in the heart of Little Rock. Calvary's mission is to glorify God by making disciples who make disciples. Whether you've long been part of our church family or are tuning in for the first time, we hope our podcast provides the same kind of welcoming space you'd find here on Sunday mornings. Most of all, we hope this space helps you engage God's Word and grow in your faith.
1: About 10 years ago, I had the privilege of participating in a very meaningful and a very memorable trip to the Holy Land. And in fact, uh, my son and I experienced this trip together. He had just graduated from college, and it was uh, a 25-day experience in the Holy Land. In part, it was a sabbatical for the work that I was doing as a um, college Christian studies professor. And it was kind of turned out to be a graduation present for my son, in a sense. He was my travel companion. He was a very experienced world traveler. He had actually studied abroad in Europe one semester. But the real reason that I needed him to go along with me was that he was about, he's about 6'2", weighs about 225 pounds, lifted weights constantly at that time, and he was my bodyguard. <laughs> and the reason I needed a bodyguard is this was gonna be a unique trip. It was going to have three goals. One, it was a spiritual pilgrimage. We were gonna visit all of the main biblical sites and then even some of the sites that were not uh, so well known. Uh, and we were going to experience the Lord together in this pilgrimage. Secondly, it was going to be a cultural experience. We wanted to experience the people, the Jewish people and their culture. That the, the uh, we wanted to experience the Arab people and their culture. Many of them were Muslims. We wanted to experience the Christian folks uh, and the variety of Christian folks and. Uh, People and their cultures there in Israel. So we had this cultural experience. The third thing is it was going to be an outdoor adventure, and what does that mean? It meant that we were going to hike the Jesus Trail. That's a forty-mile trail from Nazareth, where Jesus grew up, to the Sea of Galilee, where he made his uh, that area his uh, headquarters for his public ministry. We know Jesus traveled that path at least three times in the Gospels. And so we wanted to follow in the footsteps of Jesus on this backpacking trip where we would camp some, we stayed in hostels some. And then we had other outdoor adventures like we, we rafted a tributary of the Jordan River up in the north part of Galilee. We mountain biked in the Negev Desert down in the south. We uh, did lots of hikes um, in, uh, in Masada near the Dead Sea. And um, and in Goli, and we had all these wonderful adventures. We even scuba dived in the Mediterranean Sea over the ruins where King Herod had built that seaport. And then ultimately, we scuba dived in the Red Sea at the very south part of Israel in a city called Eilat, and just spectacular scenery. Uh, did a lot of hiking in uh, in special treks around Jerusalem, hike through Hezekiah's tunnel that was underground. We uh, walked the ramparts, the city walls of the ancient city, all kinds of adventurous things, things that I really needed a bodyguard for, and I had one. So it was that type of trip. But one of the things that really stood out that was really special and meaningful and really quite surprising was we spent three Sabbaths in Israel. And in those Sabbaths, we had kind of three special experiences with different types of Jewish people. We had one experience with the Orthodox Jews. We had one experience with the Sabbath and the with the secular Jews. And then we had one experience with Messianic Jews, Jews who actually believe that Jesus is and was the Messiah. So what were these experiences? Well, first of all, one of our Sabbath experiences, they call it Shabbat, was on Friday afternoon, late afternoon, about four o'clock, we went to one of the markets near Jerusalem to get some food. It was about four o'clock, and as we were shopping, all of a sudden, some of the Orthodox Jews came in, and you can tell an Orthodox Jew by the way they dress—kind of the black uh, uh, pants and and shirt and hat, unique hat. Their hairstyles are unique, and they began to blow their shofar horns. They're ram horns. And it was very loud in this indoor mall and really kind of annoying. And I finally asked one of the, the shop owners, I said, What's going on? And he said, Oh, they're just trying to get us to shut down for Shabbat. Shabbat starts at sundown on Friday. And so they're just wanting us to close down early. Now, the Orthodox Jews, they're the rule keepers and the rule enforcers. And so they strictly follow the Old Testament not only laws but traditions that go with those laws a lot like the Pharisees were in Jesus day. So we had that experience. Then we had that uh, one Friday night Shabbat had just started. We went to the Western Plaza which is near the Welling Wall and that's a really a sacred part of the temple that goes back to the time of Christ where the Jews still go and pray. And then there's this big courtyard next to the welling wall, and it was just this festive party. And this was where not the Orthodox Jews were gathered. It was the secular Jews. And it was loud. Music was playing, cultural music. They were circled up, uh, dancing, uh, the kind of in their circle, traditional Jewish dances. Uh, there was a light show, a laser light show taking place. Uh, I saw We saw students circled with a teacher and kind of were able to listen in, and he was teaching them a little bit about their history, both biblical history and contemporary. It was a very patriotic, festive celebration, and that was the Friday night Shabbat experience. We went back on Saturday, and there were no Jews anywhere. So that's just an interesting perspective of the Sabbath that we experienced there. Our final experience was with some Messianic Jews down in the southern part of the city called Lot, And um, this was a, both a hostel run by Christians and this church, but it was also a, a church. And they were reaching a lot of immigrants, and they asked us to join them for their Shabbat service on Saturday evening, it was in an open courtyard, and so we went, and uh, they had uh, some beautiful worship. They had all kinds of—the um, children got up and sang kind of in an impromptu choir, and it was children and people of all nationalities, all ethnicities. And then we heard a sermon, and the sermon was in English, but then in each corner of that little courtyard, you had people gather, and it was translated into four different languages— And the preacher preached, and he never slowed down or stopped for the translators. I don't know how they did it. I don't know how we heard anything, but we did, and it worked. And you had all of these groups, these different ethnicities, having their translators translate, and the sermon was preached. And after the sermon, they insisted that everybody stay for the Shabbat meal. And the Shabbat meal was just a very simple, it was a soup with bread, And uh, it was served to everyone. It was very filling. And then we were expected to stay. Nobody was in a hurry. Nobody rushed off. Everybody just stayed and visited for like hours. And we were able to really interact with a lot of those believers on that night. And we got to experience a little bit of the Jewish Sabbath. So, why am I talking about the Sabbath? Well, It happens to be the fourth commandment. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, beginning with verse eight, we're going to see that God had something to say about the Sabbath. And so in verse eight, we actually have the fourth commandment. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. That's the law. That's the command. But then we have the longest explanation of any other commandment. And it says this, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So let's unpack this together for just a moment. Let's make some key observations. The first one is in verse eight. It's making it very clear that the Sabbath day was a holy day set apart to worship their holy God. We also see in verse nine, that uh, this was a day where they were to cease from work or labor and rest. Big part of what they were commanded to do. We also see in verse 10 that this was for everyone, not just for the Israelites, but also for foreigners. Not just for men, it was for men, women, and children. Not just for free people, but also for slaves and it even included both humans and animals. This was a pretty radical concept that slaves themselves would get a day off. Pretty radical things are part of this. We also see at the end of verse 11, it says that the role model for the Sabbath was the Lord God himself at creation. He created the heavens, the earth, and all of uh, all that was good in six days. But then he says in Genesis 2, he rested on the seventh day. So he is the role model. He is the example that they were given for why they should do this and who they are following. And then at the very end of verse 11, it says, Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. It was a day of blessing, a day of celebration. So this is kind of just a quick overview, observations of this law, this commandment that was given to the Israelites. Well, there's a big question that comes up for all of us today, and it's really been a question that's been debated by Christians for 2,000 years. And the question is, are we obligated to follow the Sabbath or not? And you'll read different perspectives. Some pastors, theologians, scholars will say, yes, we should continue to obey this commandment. And others will say, no, it's changed. And we are no longer under the Old Testament law. Therefore, we are no longer obligated to follow the Sabbath. So the question is, what do you say? And how do we really kind of come to a good answer for ourselves? Well, I think what we need to do is we need to listen to what Jesus has to say about the Sabbath. That's a good start. And then after we listen to him, we need to listen to what the rest of the New Testament has to say. Again, we're New Testament believers. We're New Covenant Christians. So what does the New Covenant say about this issue? And we really should listen to theologians and interpretive principles that might come into play. So let's start with Jesus. Jesus makes a couple of powerful statements about the Sabbath. One of them comes in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5:17, where basically he was accused of breaking the law. And in particular, he was accused of breaking the Sabbath law. But he never did that. He did break with a lot of their man-made traditions related to the Sabbath, but he did not break the Sabbath law. And listen to what he says. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so in some way, Jesus fulfills all of the law, including the Sabbath law, and uh, transforms it. And so we need to kind of understand what that means, what that looks like. Another thing that Jesus said is very profound in Mark 2.27. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And what he means by that is that the Sabbath was not intended to restrict us, human beings and the people of God. It was meant to bless us. Not a burden, but it was meant to be a blessing, a gift to man. Well, What does Paul say about the Sabbath? Well, there's there's quite a few passages. And uh, I won't show the particular verse references, but if you want to jot these down, if you're taking notes, you can look up Romans chapter 14. Colossians chapter two and Galatians chapter four and put all these together. In Paul's day, Romans 14 and Colossians two indicates that there was definitely a difference of opinion among New Testament believers about the Sabbath. Some were following the Sabbath just like the Old Testament uh, Jews and others were not. Probably it was mostly the Jewish Christians that were following the Sabbath law, and it was the Gentile Christians that were not. Paul basically says, let each person choose according to their conscience, and let's not judge each other. But if you read Paul a little bit more, it's pretty clear, in Galatians 4 especially, that Paul did believe that because of Christ, the Sabbath obligation was removed. And we are free not only from the Sabbath, but from all of the law. And he basically says, now for Christ followers, every day is a holy day. Some of our Bible interpreters, experts will tell us, one of the ways you can navigate the Old Testament Mosaic law is to distinguish between the moral laws and the ceremonial laws. And in the Ten Commandments, we have mostly moral laws like do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not lie, do not steal. Those are moral laws, and they would tell us if it's a moral law, then it's timeless. It was for the Israelites, 13th century B.C. at Mount Sinai. It was for the first century Jewish and Gentile believers In Jerusalem and in the rest of the Greco Roman Empire, and it's for 21st Christians living in Little Rock, Arkansas. Timeless laws that need to be followed, moral laws. But then there are the ceremonial laws that were really focused on the worship of the Israelites. And those are the laws that we know through Christ have definitely been fulfilled and transformed, changed. That's why we don't, you didn't have to bring. some birds or animals this morning for sacrifice, right? That's changed. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. We no longer have to to go through that Old Testament mosaic process of worship. So things have changed. So what's the answer? Well, I think for me, I would say the short answer is no. We are no longer obligated To follow the Sabbath. But there is a however. However, there are principles that we need to go back to all of the Old Testament scriptures and glean from. God-given principles that we need to glean from the Old Testament laws, even the ceremonial laws, And then bring those principles into our world, into our lives, and into the applications that we need to find. And so what are some of these principles? And I really, just to back up, I would say that really, whether you say the Sabbath needs to be obeyed by New Covenant, New Testament Christians, or not, I think if you apply the principles, there's not much of a difference in how we live. So what are the principles? Let's think about these. I think we can think about them in four words. First word is ceasing. Second word is resting. Third word is worshiping. And the fourth word is celebrating. And those are all principles embedded in the Sabbath commandment, the Sabbath law. So what do these mean? What's the principle of ceasing? Well, we know for them, they had to stop. They were ordered, commanded to stop their work and their labor and rest from it for a day. Now, if anyone, any culture in history needs To stop work occasionally, periodically, and rest from work, it's our culture. I mean, we are in a a culture that values productivity to the max. We live in a culture that champions type A personalities, get it done type people. We live in a culture that really creates workaholics to our detriment. And we work so much and so hard sometimes that it damages our marriages, it damages our relationships with our children, with our grandchildren, it damages our health. So we need to pay attention to this principle. And although we're not obligated to apply it to a certain day every day of every week, I do believe we are free to take it and see it as a blessing and as a gift, and we're wise to apply it to our lives. The second word is resting. And we know that our physical bodies were designed to rest. Your doctor will tell you, any doctor will tell you, that if you're not getting consistently between six and eight hours of sleep every night or maybe a little bit more for some of you, a little bit less for others. But if you're not getting regular rest, you are eventually going to crash and it's going to create a lot of damage to your physical body. What's true for our physical bodies is equally as true for our minds, for our emotional state, and for our spiritual lives. We're holistic creatures. We were created by God not just to be physical beings, but we are mental beings, we're emotional beings, and we're spiritual beings. And so rest is absolutely vital to our health and well-being. I love what this Jewish theologian and philosopher named Abraham Heschel said. He said, you know, after the six days of creation— Creation was not complete. There was still one vital thing missing. What was missing? What was needed to complete God's beautiful, good creation? It was rest. And he gave mankind the gift of rest on the seventh day. So rest is another vital thing principle that we need to somehow find a place in the regular rhythms of our lives. The next word is worship. You know, the real reason was for the, for the ceasing from work, the primary reason, it wasn't just for rest and getting recharged and rejuvenated physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually, but it was really so that we can connect with God in worship. There would be a time each week where they would stop and relate to God intimately. And one of the most intimate things we do as human beings is to worship him. And that's what this day was for. That's why they were taking such great, they were told to to clear out their days and stop work, cease and rest so you and they can worship. And that's very, very important to us as well. One of the books I'm reading as I go through The Ten Commandments is a book I'd recommend. It's by a a pastor named Kevin DeYoung. It's called The Ten Commandments. And uh, he makes a statement in here that I thought I would just read. He's basically saying that our world, even our Christian culture is losing the value And the priority and the focus on corporate worship. Listen to what he says. He says, Too many see corporate worship as a good thing to do if the weather is nice but not too nice. If the football game is uninteresting and the sports practice doesn't interfere or if they're not too tired. Somehow we've gotten the idea that gathering with God's people to worship at God's throne and to hear from God's word is something that's fine to do when, it's, when it fits our schedules. This is not the New Testament ideal. And then he says, see Hebrews 10. And Hebrews 10 verses 24 and 25 basically tells us something very, very important. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So what he's saying is this is something that needs to be a value for all New Testament believers, that we regularly gather with God's people and we worship together. Don't neglect it. I don't think it's a sin to skip church every now and then. If you're traveling, on vacation, or maybe you just sleep late, that's not a sin. Again, we're not under the law of the Sabbath. But I do think if we habitually miss church, if we don't prioritize it. If it's not a part of the regular rhythm and routine of our lives, according to Hebrews 10, we've definitely crossed the line. So worship. And then finally, celebrating. You know, one of the, uh, or this commandment, commandment number four, the commandment about the Sabbath is only one of two of the Ten Commandments That's written in the positive. That simply means that this is not a thou shall not. It's a thou shall. And I think this connects with what Jesus said, that the Sabbath was made for man, not vice versa. What this means is we get to experience something that is very, very good and beautiful and meaningful, and celebrative. And we don't want to miss it. The Sabbath principle, when it's applied to our lives, is not a have to, it's a get to. One of the the writers that I I read said this. He said the Sabbath principle, uh, he says, is like an island of get to in an ocean of have to. And what he meant is we live in a world of have-tos. And we ought to let that be six days of the week. But one day, we need to live on an island of get-to. It's a beautiful gift. It's not a burden. It's a blessing. And we need to learn that. We need to remember that. We need to experience that. I love what this lady, Marva Dawn, she writes a book, Keeping the Sabbath Holy, And it's W-H-O-L-L-Y is how that's spelled. And in her, her dedication to this book, she says some important things about the Sabbath and who it's for. She says, this book is dedicated to all the people who need the Sabbath. And then she begins to delineate these people. The busiest who need to work from a cohesive, unfragmented self. Those who chase after fulfillment and need to understand their deepest yearnings and to hear the silence. Those who have lost their ability to play because of materialism and technology of our society, who need beauty and gaiety and delight. Those who have lost their passion and need to get in touch with feelings. Those who are alone and need emotional nourishment. Those who live in community and need solitude. Those who cannot find their life's priorities and need a new perspective. Those who think the future is dictated by the present. Who need hope and visions of the future to change the present order. Those who long for deeper family life and want to nurture certain values. Those who don't know how religion fits into the modern world, who need a relationship with God, and those who want to be God's instruments, enabled and empowered by the Spirit to be world changers and Sabbath healers. Let's dream for just a moment. Let's dream about a day during our week where we get to do something special starts the night before. We all get a wonderful night's sleep. And then the next day we show up for church, fully rested, fully alert, fully engaged. We actually get here early enough to enjoy the breakfast, not to have to cram down the food, to get to have a conversation with a friend or somebody maybe we haven't met before. We have the freedom to sit quietly in this beautiful church foyer, drink some coffee, catch up with another friend or fellow church member. We get to attend a Bible study class where you know that there you'll find people that are there for you when you need them. People who truly love you, care for you, have your back. We get to not only experience engaging Bible study, but passionate worship of our God and experience things like the Lord's supper together. After church, we get to go have a meal with family or friends, a meal that's not overly taxing on the preparers. You know, one thing about uh, my experience in Israel with the Messianic church is that meal was so simple and it was served on paper plates, paper bowls and um plasticware. No cleanup. They made it very simple so that it was more about the meal and the fellowship, not uh, all of the other things that go. Wouldn't it be nice to go out to eat and not have to diet one day a week? Enjoy your food. After the meal, spend time with family or close friends, maybe playing a board game, maybe watching a ball game, maybe going to a park, Maybe hiking Pinnacle Mountain, doing something pretty cool, something fun with your kids or your grandkids to the point that they begin to think, man, this is the greatest day of the week. I can't wait for Sunday. Maybe have time to actually take a nap if you want to. Wouldn't that be fun and good? And helpful, maybe take a personal prayer walk or enjoy some time sitting outside listening to your favorite worship music where you're not in a hurry or don't have any place to go to. Maybe it's a time, a day, where your phone is actually sitting in the back room of your house. No texts, no emails, no social media. It's just you and the Lord and your family. Not a bad thing. You know, in the busyness and fast pace and noisiness of our culture and our lifestyles, we really can't hear much. And we certainly can't hear the voice. What's the voice I'm talking about? It's the still, small voice that's calling out to us and it's saying, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let's turn off the noise and let's hear the voice. Let's pray.
0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church podcast. If you don't already have a church home, we invite you to join us in person each Sunday morning. Our contemporary worship service is at 9 a.m., and our traditional service is at 1115. For more information, be sure to check out our website, cbclr.org.